Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Made Up News Monday. No, wait. Hey, hang on. Something's not right. Is it Trivial Tuesday? Woke Wednesday? Thursday? Uh, no, uh, f- Fake News Friday. That's it. See, I was doing the whole fake news thing myself. I'm getting my days all mixed up. Great to have you tuned in to the program. I am Andrew Lawton, guest hosting for Candace Malcolm while she tends to the monumental task of making and nurturing life, which we wish her very well on. Uh, joining me, as always, is True North producer and host of Ratioed, Harrison Faulkner. Harrison, good to talk to you on this fine Friday. How are you? Good to talk to you, too, Andrew. I understand the... Uh... The confusion and mix-up of the days as we get into the summer months, it's uh, its tough to keep everything in line these days. Yeah, I, I, I drove through a tornado yesterday, so I'm actually, or I guess it was two days ago, so I'm particularly twisted up now in my, in my thinking more so than usual. But some things remain constant, and one constant we can always rely on is Justin Trudeau's hypocrisy. And in this particular case, he's not even trying. He's not even trying. This is a picture of Ju- or a video of Justin Trudeau doing a photo op in British Columbia. Great to see you. Great to see you guys. Of course, of course. So there he is, glad-handing, meeting people, hanging out. You may think, well, what's the big deal? Well, notice anything on their faces because I certainly didn't. This is an Okanagan, British Columbia steam train. It's not federally regulated, which is relevant because the federal government has mandated masks on all trains. You cannot board a train, a via rail train from Toronto to London or from Calgary to uh, anywhere else without wearing a mask. And the government says this is the science. The science says trains are unsafe, but when it's a political photo op in Okanagan, I guess the science is different. I, I, have you been able to figure out where the science stands on this? Are, are masks needed on trains or not, Harrison? Well, so what I think I've come to realize, Andrew, is that if the train is stationary, if it's a steam train, if it's one of these sort of tourist trains, uh, despite the size, despite the, you know, the number of people in it, that is when obviously the science tells us you're fine from COVID, you're safe from COVID. As soon as that train you know, actually becomes properly mobile it actually takes you from one place to the to another from one city to another and it gets federally regulated then of course covid becomes a problem so i think i'm coming to realize this andrew if it's it's two things if it's a if it's a stationary train or it's a, or it's a touristy kind of stop then covid won't won't be a problem and covid won't be a problem if the prime minister is there so he kind of has this weird force field he can stop covid wherever he goes uh only however when you and i get on a train andrew uh, like when the rest of us get on a train, that's when COVID becomes a problem. So it's slowly starting to make more sense for me. Uh, but again, I can understand the confusion from a lot of Canadians when they see this, when they see the fact that we're the only country uh, in, the, what is it, in, in the Western world, basically, that is holding on to these mask mandates, that is holding on to these punitive rules. Uh, it's starting to become a reality that we are just such an outlier in this. And the prime minister is so caught up in this mask theater that none of it really makes sense. There's there's no amount of thinking, there's no amount of research, there's no amount of medical data that you can that you can look at and to, and look into to find where any of this makes sense, unfortunately. I think that's where we're at. 
Yeah, and and that's the whole thing. Like, and people, the true and on defenders are actually hilarious on Twitter right now because they'll say something like, "Well, it's not mandated there, or it's not federally regulated." I'm like, you're you're missing the point. The point is not like no one's suggesting they're breaking the law. The point is that they're ignore. If if the law is supposed to be rooted in science, then the science would change when you're on a steam train versus on a another train that's going uh, in in a commercial setting. And I, I by the way, I have to mention on a steam thing this was like the greatest day ever for the train operators because if you're powered by hot air having justin trudeau on like gets you going miles and miles per hour so i think that's why they had him on he was just a new fuel source for for a steam powered train but i I think the reality here is that it's the same as when we saw him masked up while he was uh, doing one thing and then the next day he's with the 90 something year old queen elizabeth ii with no mask but then he's wearing the mask when he's with boris johnson but boris isn't wearing the mask at this rally and this event and it's just it's completely made up and the rules are that i think you were right about this harrison the rules are that the covid is not an issue when justin trudeau doesn't want it to be an issue when he wants to live life mass free no issue at all when he wants to uh, do whatever else is is on his mind that he uh, involves mandating things that is when covid's an issue and and how are we can't even figure it out we can't unlock this information he is the great oracle uh, so we all have to wait when he takes his mask off that's when we can when he puts it on we we have to put actually no we always have to keep it on even when he takes his off. That's the big annoyance here. So if you're a Canadian who is fed up with this, looking at this is like, it's just enraging. It is enraging. You're like, why do I have to, on a 12-hour flight from, I don't know, Toronto to Tokyo, keep my face covered, but uh, this guy who's mandating that can do whatever he wants? Well, exactly. And it's one of those things that, you know... When you when when you're running with a lie for so long, the pressure builds up, and you eventually fit, you eventually crumble to it. You eventually expose yourself because it's not it doesn't make any sense. And this is what we're seeing. I mean, Trudeau is trying to convince all of us that we have to keep wearing masks, but eventually he was always going to get caught out. He was always going to find himself in a position where he wasn't following his own rules. And I think other leaders, other Western leaders, have come to their senses. They realize that wait a second, the minute I'm pictured doing something like what Trudeau did at this steam train, the minute I'm pictured not wearing a mask when I've told everyone else to wear a mask, that's when the entire, you know, this one, the entire sort of house of cards falls on this whole public health restrictions regime. For Trudeau, he doesn't even care about that. I mean, you, you almost got to respect the complete, you know, lack of, of consideration, the lack of care when it comes to the, the image and the hypocrisy, because I think that's what it is, Andrew. I think a lot of Western leaders just said, you know what, there's no way, especially with the UK, with the UK media, for example, there's no way that Boris Johnson could be seen breaking his mask rules. And I know all the leaders did this. They eventually did get caught breaking their own rules. But there's no way other countries' media uh, would let the leaders off the hook the way Canadian media lets Trudeau off the hook. You didn't see very, you didn't see much criticism from Canada's legacy media for Trudeau being spotted maskless here. You didn't see any criticism when Trudeau was spotted maskless in many other situations. This is not the first time he's broken his own rules. Obviously, he has a bit of a problem doing that, whether it's health rules or whatever. I mean, where was it? Um, he was he, he like you said, Andrew. He was seen uh, wearing a mask, meeting the UK opposition leader Keir Starmer. Uh, and then he was seen maskless meeting the queen. Um, he was also seen, uh, having a mask free party in the Netherlands with, uh, Mark Rutte, the Netherlands prime minister. Oh yeah. 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 They were like bar, they were like doing a bar crawl together, weren't they? Pub, yeah, they were doing their little pub crawl together. You know, the best buddies, the, uh, Rutte and Trudeau while well, they were doing their thing behind a bar. 
you know, enjoying life maskless, mask free, when all of us in Canada were, of course, masked up and all these, you know, service workers had to be masked up. So it doesn't matter for Trudeau. It, it simply doesn't care. And this is what happens when you own the media, pretty much. When you buy off the media, you can do whatever you want. And no one's going to call you out on it. It's only going to be us. It's only going to be some of the, the critical media. And I think for Trudeau, it just doesn't matter to him. He doesn't care. Yeah. One thing that I, I will say, taking the bigger picture view of this, I, I was, as I said on my own show, I was just in the United Kingdom and it was night and day to Canada. Now, the UK was not exactly the bastion of freedom during COVID, admittedly. I mean, some of the lockdown stuff there was insane, worse than Canada. The behavior of, of uh, Her Majesty's constabulary was absolutely atrocious in, in many points. But the one thing that the UK did well better than Canada is moving on from this. COVID just does not exist at all. And it was interesting when I was at the airport uh, on the way back at Heathrow, I walked around and I saw a couple of people wearing masks and I said, okay, whatever. All of them were Canadians because they were all on my flight to Toronto. So that's how you can tell when you're in another country who the Canadian is because they're the one wearing a mask when no one else is. But it was literally this insane thing where I flew uh, from on an Aer Lingus flight, which is an, an Irish carrier, no masks, no issues. And then I, I connect onto a Canadian flight. And the second you get on the plane, you've got the Air Canada flight attendants barking at you to put your mask on because Transport Canada is forcing them to do that. So uh, the COVID science just fundamentally is different to Canada than it is everywhere else in the world. And I, there's that old line about when, you know, when you're the only one that's thinking a certain way, maybe you're the problem. I, I think that's true in this Canadian context as well. Uh, let, let's turn to Trudeau's, the perception of Trudeau around the world, because I, I think this is actually very interconnected, the, these first two stories here, Harrison. Uh, Joe Rogan, not necessarily the barometer of world opinion, but I think he is an example of an outsider's view of things. Uh, what's happened? Well, so on his on his podcast, the Joe Rogan Experience, which is probably the biggest podcast in the world, hundreds and not hundred millions of downloads per episode, he absolutely laid into Justin Trudeau and kind of just laid out exactly how I think a lot of people around the world are starting to starting to view Trudeau. Um, obviously, in Canada, we have a different perception, whether that's the way our media, you know, the media writes about Trudeau. Um, or just how we how we view our politics in general, but Americans are starting to catch on to the fact that things just don't seem to add up in Canada for them. And we've seen great commentary from Tucker Carlson on Trudeau. We've seen this is not the first time Joe Rogan has commented on Trudeau, but basically, I think this is probably the 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 furthest he's gone in his criticism of Justin Trudeau in our country. He just flat out called Canada a communist country. He said that our prime minister is a dictator, a creepy dictator, uh, and and basically said that he needs to go. And I think this is probably, Andrew, one of the harshest or most blunt criticisms of uh, Trudeau that we've seen in, in, in the international media. And this is not just any random podcast. This is probably the biggest podcast in the world. He said that Canada is a communist country. He said that we are effed. Uh, he said that they got we got to get rid of this guy. And uh, his guest, Tom Segura, another comedian, just agreed and said Canada's crazy. Um, and so he kind of did this whole, he prefaced it by saying, you know, he thought Trudeau was a, was a good guy, a good talker. He thought he was a handsome guy. 
but then he just turns out that after watching how Trudeau has handled COVID and how we're holding on to all these rules, that he's just basically a dictator, nothing less than a dictator. And I said this on my podcast yesterday, Andrew, that Justin Trudeau, for some reason, took away the one thing that differentiated him from the rest of the world's dictators. It was his hair. It was his appearance. He cut off his hair, and now he even looks kind of like a dictator. So, I mean, I guess we're really into it now. Well, I, I won't, I won't, I won't do the the coiffeur analysis, but yeah. I, I will say what's fascinating about uh, Joe Rogan's perception of this is that Joe Rogan is in that Jordan Peterson space where the media, the elites, the establishment hate him, but he has this huge audience and this huge amount of influence, and he's a lot more connected to people than the ones who hate him are. I mean, you you had compiled a bit of a list of just the some of the unhinged reactions to this from, I, I don't even know if they're all from Trudeau sycophants or, or maybe they're just from garden variety Joe Rogan haters, but people did not like that he dared criticize Justin Trudeau. No, absolutely not. And so what, what did the Canada's legacy media do, of course, when this happened? They got into defense mode. They went full on, uh, they, they, they immediately started trying to basically defend the prime minister, find people and highlight voices of people that were critical of Rogan's comments. Now, just before we get into this, it's, it's, it's important to remember that Joe Rogan is not some, is not some conservative zealot, not some, you know, hardcore conservative ideologue. He endorsed Bernie Sanders in the 2016 election. I'm pretty sure it might've been even 2020 race. He is definitely not a conservative. He just so happens to have his eye on the ball. I think many would agree. So the Toronto Star put together a list of reactions to Joe Rogan's comments. And of course, to be fair to them, not all of the reactions that the Toronto Star put in this were critical of Rogan. Um, Some of them were critical of Trudeau, but the overwhelming majority of them were critical of Rogan's comments. And we can just go through some of them that they highlight. So in the article, they highlight this one comment, uh, which basically said, if we have a prime minister that keeps Fox News and Joe Rogan upset, it's a good thing. And then he write, and then this person writes, Dear Joe Rogan, Trudeau is not a dictator. In fact, he is the leader of a political party who can throw him out at any time, who holds the most seats in a minority parliament, which could fall at any time. He doesn't even have veto power. Hey, hang on. I, I, I got to jump in on that one because that tweet is like the example of taking it way too literally and not seeing the forest through the trees. It's like, it's like, no, he's not a dictator. Canada has statutory elections. And it's like, no, no, no. The, the whole point is how he chooses to govern. Now, I don't even make the view that Trudeau is a dictator, but the, the reality is the prime minister of Canada has more power than the president of the United States. So the prime minister under our system is tremendously powerful. So to do like civics 101, one on this as like the neutralizing a factor on this. I think it's just amusing and, and really key to that. You must be fun at parties retort. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and it also shows you, Andrew, that when the Toronto Star has to pull Twitter responses to debunk Joe Rogan's claims instead of actually getting legitimate, you know, real real expert opinion on politics from people, then it shows you what they're trying to do is highlight the most extreme responses, the people that are most sycophantic to Trudeau. They're not even looking to get legitimate criticism of the the, uh, comments. They're just pulling Twitter responses. I guess this passes for Toronto Star journalism. One more I want to highlight from this article is, no, Rogan gets his information on Canadian politics through Jordan Peterson and Gad Saad, both of which misinterpret progressive messaging in the worst possible ways. Okay, so Gad Saad and Jordan Peterson, two two professors, well, Gad Saad is a tenured professor, Jordan Peterson, former professor, they misinterpret progressive messaging because, of course, what you have to do to understand Trudeau is understand all the progressive messaging techniques. That's the only way that you can understand Trudeau, I guess. And then he goes goes on to write, 
mostly because that's what their audience wants to hear. We rank higher on the Freedom Index in the USA. Yes, so Canada, with our ArriveCan app, with our mask restrictions, with our, with our, with our crazy lockdowns that we went through, uh, yeah, we are definitely more free than the United States. Let's just go with that. I'm sure no one disagrees, Andrew. I'm sure you don't you don't disagree, Andrew, that uh, Canada is more free than the United States. Uh, it's a tough it's a tough one because both of them have their challenges. I mean, generally though, the United States will always default back to freedom, and unfortunately, it seems like Canada is doing the opposite. And I mean, as much as I, I don't like Canada U.S. comparisons, some of these tweets though make me long for the direction on how to masculinize your voice. I'd rather listen to that video. Again, the one that we did last week, uh, then uh, <laughs> then then listen to some of the the, the unhinged reaction to to this. I, you know, it's true. The thing with Joe Rogan, which I find fascinating, is that you can't even he, he you can't even apply to him all of the typical attacks that people apply to the right because he's not a conservative, and I mean he's probably a bit more libertarian. But even then, he he's a lot more in that sort of weirdly apolitical ecosystem that sort of transcends. Uh, being being a partisan, and I think that makes it so difficult for people. They hate him, but they don't even really, they don't have the ability to go through their normal bag of insults with him. Yeah, I have that same sort of view that Rogan doesn't obviously fit into the typical, you know, political spectrum the way that other other commentators do. And I, I kind of view Joe Rogan to be in this sort of Russell Brand, Joe Rogan, you can throw some other names in there that are basically just YouTube and media personalities who are definitely not conservatives. They'll be the first people the first people to tell you that they're not conservatives. They're not a partisan. They're not a Republican or a or a conservative party member. Um, but they just so happen to be very critical of these ultra progressive governments in charge. Maybe that's a message about the progressive governments and not necessarily the commentators who themselves are not conservatives. They say so. Um, and then more Joe Rogan has this incredible ability, Andrew, to just explode heads. He, he, can, he can make people go absolutely nuts and lose their minds over a very silly comment, over a joke. Don't forget, he is a comedian. That's the whole idea of most of his podcasts. And yeah, and same as Tom Segura, his guest on that. Yeah, Exactly. So on that same podcast where Rogan was criticizing Trudeau and calling him a communist, uh, calling Canada communist, he made this joke, obviously a joke, about LA and about the homeless, popu- the homeless population in LA. Basically, Talking about how the the state has promoted or helped the homeless population to such a degree and given them so much so much uh, you know you could say legal protection that you can't do anything about it. I mean, they were talking him and Joe Joe Rogan and this guy Tom Segura were talking about how you can't touch a homeless person's property on the street. Obviously, it's on public property, but you can't touch it because it's legally their property now. And it's, a, it's an overall criticism of what, what's going on in L.A. So Rogan made a comment about how you can't move these people from the street, but if you shot them, no one would do anything. Obviously making a joke. It would be very difficult. I mean, you'd have to be, maybe you'd have to be from TMZ or somewhere, somewhere like that to assume that Rogan was talking literally. And of course, TMZ wrote an article about this comment, of course, just looking for headlines, looking for clicks. They wrote a headline that said, Joe Rogan under fire for maybe just go shoot the homeless joke intended as political jab. And I'm not sure if that was the original headline they ran with, but TMZ is a very odd publication, Andrew. I haven't gone on there in in quite a long time to read their articles, but it's very bizarre because it's clearly written by a leftist activist. Uh, The beginning in the lead, they talk about how these people aren't homeless. 
they are without a home or they are what's the word they use for them unhoused isn't unhoused. that the term Exactly. I guess that's the new term, Andrew. So it starts off with the, the unhoused, as though I guess everyone is entitled to a home these days. That is sort of, I guess, the California line about the homeless. So it starts off by being very critical of Rogan at the very top. But then at the very end of the article, you can see exactly where the, the editor of TMZ came in and said, yeah, nice activist article. Let me just put some context at the bottom of the we'll, article. We'll let you have a little bit of fun at the beginning, but we're bringing it around to reality. <laughs> exactly. At the bottom of the article, then they bring in the fact that, of course, what he was doing was criticizing the L.A. Uh, County District Attorney, George Gascon, who many conservatives, if you follow any American conservative media, you will have heard that name likely. They are really upset at this at this district attorney in L.A. who has basically let the city become a lawless wasteland. So it's a criticism of that. It's a criticism of the L.A. politics, not of the homeless people, but of course for leftists and activists in the media. Andrew, they don't, they don't understand that. They don't see that. All they hear is Joe Rogan wants to shoot homeless people. It's just bizarre. It's just so weird. Yeah, I mean, one of the most insufferable developments of the last few years is the complete abandonment of having a sense of humor. This this was the big thing with Trump, is that nine times out of ten, whenever Trump said something that was supposedly outrageous, you'd read it in print and you'd be like, oh, wow, that's terrible. And then you'd watch the video and it's like, okay, he's clearly joking. And people are deliberately deciding to pretend that humor no longer exists. So uh, in any case, let's uh, continue along with our theme of talking about how the media can be out of touch with its audience sometimes. And this one is a bit of a visual representation of it here. CBC was doing a segment about inflation, which we know is a massive issue. This week came to record highs, the highest in 39 years, with an 8.1%, I think, increase year over year for the last month that we have data available. And a lot of people in this country are wondering how to make things work. They're wondering how to afford the grocery bill, how to afford the fill-up at the gas pumps. And, well, here's a little bit of advice from CBC's personal finance correspondent on this, uh, a woman by the name of Rubina Ahmed Hack. Let's see. Shelter and hydro uh, in combination uh, should be about 30% of your income. And that is much higher uh, right now, especially in cities like Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary, where rents are much higher. Uh, one way that you can mitigate that is by speaking to your employer about getting a raise. Uh, with inflation the way that it is going, um, it is completely reasonable right now, especially in this tight labor market, to go to your employer and say, I need you to bump my wage because it's becoming impossible for me to still survive in the city that I was hired in. And if that doesn't work, looking for another job, especially if you've got skills that are in demand, will often give you the bump that you need in order to afford that apartment and that rent that goes with it. I, I can hear a whole bunch of people at home going, so my boss will say no. Mm. Yeah, and that is, and that's a fair point. I'm kind of conflicted on this because in, in one sense, it sounds just so out of touch. It sounds like this thing that is just completely disconnected from the people who are really grappling, people that work in lower wage jobs, perhaps. I mean, but even in general, I mean, you don't need to work in a, a minimum wage job to be feeling the pinch with inflation. I, but then on the other hand, I, I'm looking at and, and in people's cases where they are in a bargaining position. Sure, that's great advice to go to your boss and say, I, I want to raise or to look for another job. Everyone's hiring. But it, it completely misses the mark that right now we don't have a problem that can be easily solved by just, okay, I'm just going to pick up and no longer be poor. 
Yeah, exactly. You're not you're not going to hear any legitimate criticism of the situation we're in. Of course, what you're going to hear is just basically, you know, find a better job, go find a better job for yourself. And uh, I think that again, you're right. It's it's classic CBC. It completely misses the mark, and it's not helping anyone. It's just basically telling you what the obvious is. Oh yeah, everyone can go get a better job. Uh, not like anyone's going to have to fill the jobs that everyone left. Of course, that that thinking never comes to never never really comes to reality but i love some of the comments on this video when we posted it on true north we got some good funny comments and just this woman said or this person wrote she can use her own advice when the cbc is defunded which i thought was quite hilarious uh maybe some of the cbc experts are going to need to be asking their employers for a raise when uh when the money doesn't start funding funneling their way the same way it currently does so of course the cbc with with their with their you know, with their position they're in, they've got, they don't have to worry about price, That they don't have to worry about salaries, that's for sure. They, of course, just give us perfect advice, Andrew. Why can't everyone just go get a better job? Why can't anyone just ask for a raise? I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure businesses themselves definitely aren't struggling with 8% inflation, 40 year high inflation. I mean, it's just so short sighted. The, the funny thing is she's doing what the left used to be enraged when, you know, your old sort of 80s, 90s conservatives did it. The whole bootstraps conservatism of just just pick yourself up by the boots. Like, like she's doing what the right used to be just derided for doing. Yeah, and I wonder if uh, if the inflation we're seeing now was under a conservative government. I wonder if the CBC would be telling us that we need to find better jobs. We need to just ask for more raises. Or maybe they were. Maybe they might be a bit more critical of the situation we're in. I'm not sure, Andrew. Something tells me that uh, they, 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 might, they might be a bit more critical of the government if it were a conservative government. But maybe that's just, my, maybe that's just me having a, having a negative outlook on the CBC. All right. Well, we got time for one more here. Harrison, take it away. So we found this uh, very, very odd video, I have to say. It happened to be an interview with a Global News Toronto, well, with Global News Toronto. This, this woman, Leticia Isertel, who's the senior director of a company called Foodshare, went on Global News to talk about one of their new initiatives. And what it is, is a dismantling white supremacy food box. So we have a clip. We have a clip of the interview, and I think it's worth quickly playing the video before we comment on it. This is what the video. This is what the interview sounded like. You know, we often ask why you know name the dismantling white supremacy box. Why we do some of the work, and I think ultimately is that you know the data is really clear in terms of showing that Black, Indigenous, and racialized communities experience higher rate of food insecurity in Toronto, and they also remain like under supported when it comes to farming and agriculture. And you know, they often underrepresented when it comes to like running you know your own farm and your own business why you know there's there's no denying that small-scale farming is a struggle you know uh, regardless of your race it's really important that we recognize the additional barrier that many black indigenous and people of color farmers and growers are facing right for us it's it's about whether it's with this dismantling white supremacy box and 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 the farmers we're working with for that or, you know, the, the work that we do for school brand. It's about really changing the system for those who uh, face the most barrier and are discriminated against in our food movement. And so hopefully we can fix the system for all. So, Andrew, this initiative is designed to, I guess, tackle food insecurity or what these people call food insecurity. Uh, and they're not making any direct accusation of racism. They're not saying that farmers, that white farmers are, uh, you know, believe that they're, they're only selling their food to white people, that there's some inherent white supremacy in farming. No, it's just because that black and indigenous uh, people in Toronto suffer from higher rates of food insecurity. It's very bizarre to me then that they call it 
dismantling white supremacy box. So a dismantling white supremacy box when they admit that these farmers are not even racist, they're not even they're not even white supremacists. It's almost as if they're kind of just throwing gas on the fire and trying to basically get people worked up. I mean, that's the only way I can see it. I mean, when I see something like this, one of my reactions is that they're trying to get people worked up and fired up when they see a headline like this, when the person even admits that it's not even about white supremacy. It's very bizarre. I, I, I feel you're being very insensitive. I was trying to find the dismantling white supremacy deli meats at the grocery store the other day, and they didn't have any. And then I looked for the dismantling white supremacy uh, canned goods, and I couldn't find any. And then I looked for the dismantling white supremacy milk, and I, I couldn't find any. So I feel that if, if white supremacy is innate in food products, uh, the fact that I, I'm not seeing any food products elsewhere devoted to it suggests this is a real problem. There's white supremacy everywhere, and you, you can't get it unless you buy kale from her. Yeah, and I just find it weird that of all of all the... All the places where someone would go to get their message out like this, they go to Global News, supposedly one of our premier, you know, big name legacy media news outlets. Global News wants to highlight something like this. Yeah, it's it's very bizarre to me. I, I just I just don't really I don't really understand any of this. And when I see something like this, even when the person admits that it's not even about racism, uh, it, the only thing I can think of, Andrew, is that they're basically trying to incite people to react in a way that is negative, that almost, that, that tries to, you know, produce a certain reaction or create a certain reaction from people when they read something like this. So apparently, and do you, th do you, th do you, do you think it's that though, or do you think it's just trying to capitalize on like guilty white liberals? I mean, of course, I think it's probably that too, but then, but then. Because I, in, in which case I say capitalist of the year, like well done. Well, then they wouldn't even be solving uh, supposed food insecurity for black and indigenous Canadians. They would just be, you know, encouraging these, you know, insufferable white guilt liberals to uh, to buy their to buy their food boxes. In these food boxes, uh, what you have are kalalu, efo shoko, uh, basil, kale, and much more. So, and it's all grown by local non-white growers. That's the key there. So, the food you're getting, it's not grown by anyone who's a white person. So, I think you know the new the new the new standard, Andrew, is to fight white supremacy with racism. Sounds like a great strategy to me. I'm sure there's no no issue with that at all. <laughs> all right. One box of kale at a time, dismantling white supremacy. That does it for us for today. Harrison Faulkner, host of Ratioed on True North and also the uh, author of a great many other of uh, True North's successes. So thank you very much, Harrison, for joining. I am Andrew Lawton in for Candace Malcolm. Uh, thanks to all of you for tuning in. As always, we will see you next Friday with more fake news. Have a good weekend.